0: Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. And as we gather together this morning, we pray that you reveal yourself to us through your spoken word. We pray that your Holy Spirit flows. That these words that I speak may become your living word. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 25, um, or 14 through 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is this God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to present a defense to you in this manner. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O King, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you've set up. So the men were bound still wearing their tunics, their trousers, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly, and he said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? And they answered the king, true, O king. And he replied, but I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of... Of a God. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been going through the story. Um, I know that you know you're probably tired of hearing us talk about the story in some ways. Um, the story, the story, the story. But hopefully that word is starting to, to resonate with you on some level. That the story is this overarching picture of what our faith is, that the story of Scripture goes far beyond. Just little stories and little episodes here and there. They're all part of a larger logical framework of our relationship with God. And the story has taken us through all sorts of crazy different journeys. Uh, we started this in September, um, and now we, we've made quite a bit of progress in the story. So actually, uh, I'm a very linear thinker. Some people love this, some people hate this, but I've put together a little timeline for you to see, and we'll throw that up here to show you where we are in the story. So, um, if this is helpful, great. If it's not, shut your eyes and put your fingers in your ears. Um, but the timeline here shows that, okay, we've got creation, we've got Adam and Eve, and we see this trajectory of our story so far, where we see that the story has taken some different dips and some different peaks. We've got these characters like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got characters like Moses and Joshua and the judges and Ruth. And we get to this place where we've got this united kingdom, where Israel's in the promised land, and they've got Saul, and they've got David, and they've got Solomon, and apparently it didn't go so well, because they only had three kings before Israel was divided, and they split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And our story today comes from the southern kingdom. Our story today comes from this point three-quarters of the way across the screen there called Exile. The southern kingdom of Judah is conquered by Babylon, and this king, Nebuchadnezzar, begins to impose his will upon the Israelites. And in this time, the Israelites are trying to figure out how do we worship God in a foreign land? Not only that, how do we worship God when we aren't in charge of ourselves anymore? This, uh, we're getting close to the end of the story in some ways. Uh, You can see the timeline doesn't leave much room left, and and Jesus almost looks like an afterthought on the timeline because he's right there at the end. But if you know your Bible well, you'll know that about two-thirds of it is all in the Old Testament. It all wraps up with this word exile. Now, exile is a tricky thing because we don't really think about exile in the same way that the Israelites would have. But exile is this notion of being taken out of the place you call home. Exile is the the sensation of no longer being able to be where you want to be. Exile is being removed from all you know to be true and good. The the difficulty of exile for the Israelites, the difficulty of, of living in this situation is that so much of their faith up to this moment had revolved around being in the promised land, being in the temple, being where they believed God was. And now they had to figure out what faith looked like in this other situation. They had to figure out how do we worship God when all of these other things are happening? And so the book of Daniel is a book that takes place during exile. It's a book that catches us up to speed. Now, we're in Daniel 3 this morning, but the first two chapters of Daniel are these episodes of Daniel and his and his um, companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you think those are weird names, I learned it, Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy Goat. So... You know, take that if that'll be helpful. But Daniel and his companions in the first two chapters go through these different trials of some sort. In the first chapter, it was an issue of Daniel and his friends were told they had to eat what Babylonians ate. But they didn't do that because their faith said, no, we don't eat all of the same things that everyone around the world eats. We eat very specific things. And so they kind of secretly didn't follow the diet plan. And then in the second chapter, there's some other tensions too that, that continue to arise where these situations where basically the Babylonians are trying to impose their traditions onto the Israelites and they're trying to figure out which of these are make it or break it. Which of these things can we engage in and our faith remains? And which of these things would remove our faith entirely? And so we get to chapter three. It's kind of a bizarre situation, hopefully not one that we're too familiar with. Nebuchadnezzar has a giant statue made. And anytime the music plays, everyone is supposed to bow down and worship this statue, worship the gods of Babylon, to, to stop whatever they're doing to pay homage to this new king, this new tradition. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse. And so the tension is, they're threatened with death, and they say to his face, we don't care. Now, I'm assuming no one in this room has been in a situation where someone's put a giant statue up, and we say, bow down to a statue and worship a statue or else. But this is a situation that we know. All throughout history, Christians have been persecuted for their faith, put to death for their faith. It's actually something that still happens today in different parts of the world. But even if it's not a life or death situation, we know what it's like to be presented with the opportunity to worship something other than God. Now, the technical definition of worship is something more along the lines of reverence towards a deity or gratitude or or something to that effect. It's something we offer up towards a God. But really, we worship all kinds of things in our society, we are tempted to give ourselves to all kinds of things in our society. And it's not just the big bad world out there tricking us. It's us. It's us wanting to give ourselves to these different things. And, and maybe we don't use the word worship, but really what worship does, it, it reveals what we value most. It reveals what we believe to be the most important part of our lives. And so people worship all kinds of things. In our, in our world. People worship their bodies. People worship their monies and their bank accounts. People worship their status in their companies or in their communities. Some people worship logic, the idea that they always just have to have it all figured out and all put together and all right. Some people worship their political party and allegiance. Some people worship other people. And the problem is, if we affirm that we're image bearers of the divine— We've been designed to worship one thing only, and that's God. So, worship given to any other thing in our lives is an idol. And we live around all kinds of idols, things that that could potentially be really great things in our lives, but because we've believed that they are the object of our worship, that they are the end in themselves. We treat them as if they are the thing that deserves our time and our energy and our passion. We treat those things as idols. Worship is reserved for God alone. Now, I'm going to sound probably the most Presbyterian I've ever sounded to you all before in my life because I'm about to tell you about some Presbyterian stuff. We have a couple things we believe as Presbyterians. We've got a couple books we like things decently, and in order, and a lot of order, like 500 pages of order. So we've got something called the Book of Order. And in the Book of Order, we've got sub-books in that Book of Order, and one of them is called the Directory for Worship. Sounds really riveting. But there's something beautiful in the Directory for Worship. There's a lot of things, actually. And I want to read to you what the Directory for Worship says, what we believe about worship. It says this. It says, God acts with grace. We respond with gratitude. God claims us as beloved children, and we proclaim God's saving love. God redeems us from sin and death, and we rejoice in the gift of new life. This rhythm of divine action and human response that we find all throughout Scripture and human history and everyday life, that's the rhythm that shapes all of our Christian life, our faith, and our worship. And therefore, the worship of the triune God is the center of our common life together. And it's our primary way of witness to the faith, hope, and love we have in Jesus Christ. Worship is something common to us all. Worship is something we were designed for. That's why when things are going so well, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We we want to pour it out on something or someone. Worship is... Is, is part of our DNA. It's something that, that makes us whole and it becomes a rhythm. But when we reduce worship to our services, when we reduce worship to Sundays, when we reduce worship to this immediate space, when we treat worship as something special and then the rest of our lives is ordinary, we are missing what worship truly is. We use this phrase all the time in our worship services, our grateful response. It's something that we choose to do through the music that we sing and the liturgy that we read, because worship is about pointing ourselves, posturing ourselves toward God in grateful response for all God's doing. Everything in our lives has the capacity to be a means for us to worship God but we are so limited in the way that we think about our worship that we, we reduce it to these different places and areas. And so worship invites us into a fuller life, not, not a more narrow one. Worship expands our love. It doesn't, it doesn't shortchange it. And the issue is that so many things in our lives seem like they're worthy of our worship, but they're not. In the New Testament, the book of James says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. If we believe that all the good things we encounter in our lives are actually gifts from God, there are things worth worshiping God for. And sometimes we think it's got to be this huge, big thing that happens, but there's a, a writer, author, spiritual thinker that says, if you want joy... It's everywhere. You just have to lower the bar. It's all around you every day. At some point, we get so used to having a roof over our heads, we no longer worship God in gratitude for the roof over our heads. At some point, we get so used to the amount of meals that we have that we no longer give thanks for the meals that we have. We're in the dead of winter. It's not very warm outside. The wind's cutting, and there are people that want what everyone in this room has. And we neglect to worship God and be grateful to God for the things that we've been given. Worship is bigger than the big moments. It's, it's so much more expansive than that. And, and we rob ourselves of what we've been designed for when we don't pay attention to that. That God is present already. We need to become aware of that presence and worship God in that presence. And the issue we find in this story is that the people of God were trying to figure out how do we worship God now? How do we worship God now that things are so much different than they were before? How do we worship God with all of these different values being projected upon us? Because really what's happening in this story is that the people are trying to figure out, all right, the faith that we have, what am I allowed to do with it now? What are the limitations? And when the king said, you need to bow down and worship this statue when you hear this music play, Shabrach, Meshach, and Abednego were reminded, no, our faith says we worship one God and one God only. And said, yeah, it might be as simple as bowing down and just doing this to appease you, but the faith that we carry, it's bigger than that. And so their response, I'll read it again to to Nebuchadnezzar's second chance. They say, if our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hands... O king let him deliver us but if not be it known to you that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you've set up the faith of these three men it was the core of their being it wasn't just part of their worship services in the temple It was part of everything they did. It impacted the food that they ate. It impacted the practices they engaged in. It impacted what they wouldn't do, regardless of the pressures put on them. The faith that these three people are living out showed that our faith and our worship should permeate every part of our lives, not just the ones that are most convenient. I mean, this is what happens in the Gospels, that Jesus says, yeah, you're thinking too small we're supposed to love everybody, not just God. We're supposed to love our enemies, not just our friends. This faith is so much more expansive than we give it credit for. And so the story of Shabrak, Meshach, and Abednego, it's our story too. There are things drawing your attention and your focus every day that are calling for your worship. And some of those are good things. Some of those things are are celebratory. Some of those things are gifts from God. But if you treat the things in your life that are trying to, to get your attention as the end in themselves, we're missing the mark entirely. God has blessed us with all of these things so that we can pour back our worship to the God who deserves it, which enriches our experience. It doesn't limit it. This story, this faith that's passed down from these people to more people to more people and eventually 2,000 some years later to us is a faith that calls us to something more than ourselves. It's a faith that says that we worship a God that doesn't leave us where we are but leads us forward into the new thing God's doing. It's a a faith that says while we were still at our lowest, darkest, most sinful moments, before we started acting any kind of holy or churchy, that God chose to die for us because God loves us no matter what. It's a faith that says that when there's someone hungry, we go out of our way to feed them. It's a faith that says when there's someone thirsty, we give them something to drink. When there's a stranger, we welcome them in. And When there's someone in prison, we go and visit to them. It's a faith that says, yeah, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but in fact, the way that you treat the least of these, the lowest members of society, that reflects how you treat Jesus Christ himself. It's a faith that's so much more than Sunday mornings. It's so much more than the songs and the liturgy we engage in. This is one part of it, but worship is every part of our lives if we have the capacity to see that. And if you really believe that faith, if you really cherish it and hold on to it, if you believe the words of Jesus and the the examples of people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that this is a faith worth dying for, then this is a faith that we should hold on to at all costs. This is a faith that will carry us much further than we ever could have imagined. And so our faith, our worship, is something that takes us forward, not just here. Amen.